You are listening to episode 121 of the Remind Yourself Podcast. Welcome to the Remind Yourself Podcast, the podcast for physician moms just like you who want to ditch mom guilt, stop yelling, and start enjoying their lives today. I'm your host, Michelle Chestovich, certified life coach, family physician, and mom of four. If you want to overcome overwhelm for once and for all, this is the place for you. Hello, hello, and welcome back. I am so excited to have a most amazing guest with me today. This is an amazing person who is an amazing physician who ventured out and started his own practice. And even more importantly to me, he is my big brother. So I am going to just say, without further ado, welcome Dr. Christopher Wenner. <laughs> Thank you, Michelle. I'm, I'm honored to be uh, a part of this podcast. Well, I am so excited to have you. And I just want to let my listeners know, they've heard before that I come from a family of physicians and you are my older brother and you are also a family doc. So before we get into how you've created this amazing life in medicine for yourself, tell us a little bit about you, what you like to do and where you live and things like that. I am a family physician in Cold Spring, Minnesota, which is about an hour and a half northwest of the Twin Cities metro area. I am married to a wonderful woman named Jennifer who puts up with me. I have uh, three wonderful kids, two in college, one still in high school, and uh, we enjoy spending time together cooking and time outdoors as well. That's awesome. And I just want to let my listeners know that my big brother has been motivation for me in many different arenas of my life. And as of late, it's getting out on the hiking trails. The last few years, he has invited my daughter to go on camping adventures, and he has created this backpacking bug in the kids in my family, my teenagers, which is amazing that they're excited to like carry a heavy pack and get out into the woods. So I just want to thank you for that. And it's great fun. Tell us a little bit about why you chose family medicine and a little bit about your training and about your early years in practice, because those are pretty cool. I always wanted to be a country doctor. I think that was just kind of from the beginning. I just thought that being able to treat everything had great allure to me. So I went into medical school anticipating that I was going to go into family medicine. I did two years of my medical school training, or I'm sorry, a year of my medical school training in a small town hospital in rural Minnesota, the Rural Physician Associate Program through University of Minnesota, which cemented that, and then trained in Colorado and practiced in a small town in Colorado. And it was, it was fantastic. It was really, you know, uh, what I wanted to do. But being on call every other night wasn't something that made for a long career. And so quickly into that practice, I saw that that was not sustainable to staying married. So left that quote-unquote dream job that I had of being a country doctor in a small mountain town and, and came back to Minnesota and joined faculty at a residency program in St. Cloud, Minnesota. And tell us a little bit about that, because you have always been an amazing teacher. So I imagine that there were parts of that, that job that you really loved. 
And one thing that you didn't mention that I just want my listeners to know is that you also did some fellowship training. So not only were you trained in family medicine, but you had this additional obstetrical training, which again, was kind of your every other night call, right? To take care of these women in this mountain area. So you went back to St. Cloud, Minnesota, and you were teaching. How was that going for you? Well, it was good. It, it allowed me to use those obstetrical, that operative obstetrical part of my practice, allowed me to keep doing that in a larger, larger metropolitan area and pass that information on to the, the residents. And, and I enjoyed that part. But teaching is hard. And, you know, I think that'll kind of get down to the crux of our discussion today. But ultimately, I realized that care for patients was really what I was much better at than, than teaching new learners. Okay, very good. So what was it that cemented your decision? Because it was, I want to say it was like 13, 14 years ago. I remember I was pregnant with Becca, my youngest, and you called and said, I've got this idea. So why don't you take it from there? Well, yeah, so in, it was 2008. And at that point in time, there were some issues at the residency. And I just, again, I realized that teaching was not going to be my long-term shtick. And so I thought, well, okay, I'll just join a group, you know, a local group. And that's when I talked to you, Michelle, and, you know, you were truly my motivation for me hanging my shingle because you said, yeah, you know, Chris, uh, you might want to think about that because, you know, I'm, I'm here you know, on the hamster wheel, cranking out patients. I'm, you know, doing charting at night and on weekends and that sort of thing. And you said, you've got to find a better way than what I'm doing right now. And that was very poignant. And that certainly motivated me to look at starting my own practice. Well, that's good to know. I guess I don't remember that, but I'm pretty open about sharing my struggles. So if, if my struggles were a motivation for you, you're welcome. Yeah, they, cer- they certainly were, Michelle. So like, that's a big thing. So you, it's one thing to have an idea in your mind, like, huh, maybe I can go on my own, which again, I want my listeners to hear this because I think so many of them have this idea, a little flicker of a thought, like maybe, but they're scared for many reasons, which we will get into. And I feel like over the last couple of years, we're seeing more and more people with like the direct primary care, which is different from what you do. But before we get to that, how was it that you decided to take the big leap? Well, number one, I knew that, you know, if I hung my practice and for some reason I didn't succeed, I could simply close up shop and, you know, find a clinic down the road and and I'm sure I could get a job. So, you know, I felt secure in that. You know, the issue is the financial security that you have when you're employed and then you go to, you know, eating what you kill, so to speak. Uh, you know, that that's a big leap of faith. And so I didn't have a big loan, you know, to start my practice, you know, it was pretty modest. Uh, you know, I had to, you know, purchase a electronic medical record and some computers and some supplies. But, you know, I didn't buy a building, I just rented some space in a strip mall. So my, my initial capital outlay was, you know, fairly minimal. And then just said, I'm going to do this. And I know that it's going to take some time to build my practice. And so while I was, you know, getting things started, I was moonlighting at four or five other medical facilities, jails, consulting for various publications, mental health hospitals, that sort of thing, just to, you know, kind of make ends meet until I was able to get my practice going and able to start, you know, receiving a salary from my practice. 
That's awesome. So what I'm hearing you say is you had the doubt. I mean, not the doubt, but you had that biggest concern was like, what if I don't make it? And then you came up with a plan like, yeah, then I would just go get a job. And the biggest kind of issue is like, where's the income coming from when you're starting something new? And I love the way you describe it, that you didn't, you know, in starting my business too, you don't expect your business as like a young infant to like provide for you. You have to do other things in the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. So what you describe Mm -hmm. is you had some ideas in mind and plans in place to earn money on the side as your fledgling business was growing. Yep. That's exactly right. Which I think is really smart because I think some people say like, okay, I'm going to go all in and then they give it a little bit and they don't see the return that they're expecting. And then maybe they throw up their hands and say, well, it's not working because you're expecting a lot out of this fledgling business. I mean, again, I always like to say physicians are really smart and brilliant. And so many people say, well, we didn't learn how to do this in medical school, which again, we're going to get to, but it just takes some time and determination. And you tell me, is it med school hard starting a business? No, not at all. I mean, if I if I can do it, anybody can do it. And you know, and I started really small, Michelle, as you're aware. I, I had no staff at the beginning, so that made it really easy. I mean, basically I had to, you know, figure out a medical record and figure out how to submit some bills to Medicare and some insurance companies and that sort of thing. And then as my practice grew and you know started contracting with insurance companies and hiring employees and that sort of thing, it was, you know, adding things on. So you know, not unlike our, our training, you know, you kind of start with, you know, small pieces of it and you keep adding on and keep adding on and keep adding on. So it's, I mean, it was certainly, you know, a lot, but it wasn't complex. It wasn't nearly the depth of, of medical training. No. Yeah. I mean, it's new things. It's new things to learn, but again, with a, with a bright mind and a little bit of resourcefulness, I think most docs can figure it out. Did you have somebody that you had as a mentor in this process? Well, I mean, too, I mean, certainly our father, you know, who had started his own uh, dental practice. You got to shout him out. <laughs> Hi, Dad. Thanks. Thanks, Pops. You know, he was, you know, you know, offered lots of sage advice, you know, as to how to start things, dealing with staffing and that sort of thing. But that, you know, a dental practice is is different than a medical practice. And so from a contracting standpoint and dealing with that, I was quickly, I quickly aligned myself with a, an IPA, an independent practice association. And, and they were just as instrumental as the guidance provided by our father to help me, you know, get my practice going and, and negotiate contracts because Insurance companies are happy to pay you as little as they can. And when you're a solo physician, you have little leverage. And and so having, you know, other doctors to collaborate with and to have a little bit of collective bargaining with insurance companies was invaluable because that certainly was able to allow my practice to to develop some profitability, you know, without, you know, waiting around for a long time. That's fantastic. And I'm just curious about this. I mean, you everybody, I guess, could decide how to create their business on their own. You're certainly not one who's lacking in energy and motivation and work ethic. That's for darn sure. And yet, I think it would be helpful to share kind of what your vision was as your business was growing that you kind of had your eye on as what you wanted. And what I want to remind listeners, again, you can speak to it a little bit more, but when I worked in an organization for 17 years, I would get my paycheck every two weeks and it talked about all the 
the money that was going here and there and everywhere. And then I found out like my overhead at my clinic was 75%. Interesting. Or I, I actually yeah, it wasn't even my crazy. paycheck. I was getting like the, the, the revenue that I was producing, like my statistics or whatever for the month, like how many patients did I see? How much revenue did I bring in? And then I would see how much of I brought that I brought home. Anyway, my overhead was 75%, which is pretty astronomical. You and I've talked about this a little bit before. How does that play into creating more of a life and a clinic that you prefer? Well, I knew that, you know, based upon smarter doctors um, who had gone before me, you know, they were very quick to point out that, you know, you can run a practice without a 75% overhead. There was, you know, a physician by the name of Gordon Moore who kind of started this what's called ideal medical practice. And he was the first one to really publicize practicing without any staff at all. But the, the, the point that he was, you know, really trying to get at is that, okay, if we cut the overhead down, we don't have to see 30 patients a day. Yeah. And that was really what I was striving for here is not to have to get on the hamster wheel. And by keeping my overhead low, even though I've grown and I have four employees right now, my overhead is still very low. And, you know, a busy day for me right now is, you know, 12 patients. You know, I typically spend an hour with folks for physicals and complex, you know, diabetic folks and that that sort of thing. And so that was really, when I started this 14 years ago, that's what really I was shooting for, knowing that as a family physician, my most valuable commodity is my time and being able to spend that with folks and not feeling like I'm rushing to the next person. And the model is really keeping the overhead head low. And I feel like I've done that. You know, sure, it would be you know, nice to have some other accoutrements maybe that other other clinics have, but, you know, I can easily, you know, send folks down the street for x-rays and stat labs and things like that. And so it, it works out, you know, very well. And, and I feel that it's been a, a very sustainable, you know, model that I've been able to establish. I absolutely love that because I hear time and again, from physicians that they're overwhelmed, they're overburdened. I just spoke to a group of docs today. They said they had to squeeze one more in on their schedule every day. And, you know, almost like tears in their eyes stating, I don't know how I'm supposed to take good care of these patients and have quality metrics done when I've got 20 minutes to deal with four complex problems. And you speak exactly to that. That's why people are getting burnt out in medicine, fed up, they don't have the agency or the autonomy to like make the decisions necessarily for their schedule. And it's more and more crammed in. And as we know, medicine can be pretty complicated and you can't do it necessarily in 20 minutes. So no, your not, patients are pretty, pretty darn lucky that they've got you who gives them an hour of their time and who gets to know them very well. Yeah, thank you. And I feel lucky too. I mean, again, it's it's a two-way street and certainly it's that patient interaction that I think feeds a lot of us. And, you know, medicine is, is hard as we're all aware, And but it's that patient interaction that, that really feeds us. And that's why we went into medicine. And when you have adequate time to, to feed that relationship, you know, you can you can weather a lot of challenging things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one other cool thing that I will share with my listeners is that like, if you, I mean, I remember a few years ago, it was like a summer weekend where you're up there like, yeah, patient called, they needed some stitches. So I biked over there and I sutured them up. I'm like, that's amazing. Are you doing a lot of home visits? I I do. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, as, as needed, it, it comes in, it comes in spurts, but it's easy for me to do again when I don't have a 
schedule that's, you know, jam packed. If there's somebody that's either close to where I live or somebody that's close to the office, I can bike over there and, uh, and see them. And for some folks that they're just, you know, getting out to see me is much more challenging than me going to see them. And so it's, it's certainly a nice thing to be able to, to do that as well. Yeah. I love that. It's an option for you. I mean, it just seems like there's a lot of, obviously a lot of freedom and flexibility in this beautiful structure that you've created. I think that's, that's it. But the flexibility, I think is the other point of this that just makes it wonderful. You know, being quote unquote, the boss, you know, it allows me to do things that I find fulfilling and allows me to adjust my schedule that is provider-friendly, patient-friendly, staff-friendly. So whether it's, you know, starting to see patients at 6.30 or 7 in the morning just because they happen to be up and making sure that, you know, we're out of the office to get home for our family dinner and kids' sporting events and that sort of thing. It's really nice to be able to have that that fluidity and that that flexibility when, when you're in charge and you don't have to run it by a committee. Yeah, I love that. And another thing I want my listeners to hear is that, you know, again, I get so frustrated often that we physicians, like we talk about taking care of yourselves and then we don't often walk the walk. And what I'll tell you is my brother, he walks the walk, you know, he talks to his patients about moving their body and you make time during your week to move your body. Tell us about that. Like I seem to recall, like sometimes even in the middle of the day in the winter, so you can get out and get some sunshine, you'll go cross country skiing. Is that correct? Well, I do. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. So I schedule myself for an hour and a half at lunch and usually I eat you know, during part of that. And then, yeah, I try to either get out and walk or ski or, or something, you know, during the midday, just to, to move a little bit. It's not necessarily real vigorous exercise, but when you drive a desk all day, um, thing is, is helpful. Yeah. It's, it's, again, it's nice because I think, you know, most systems aren't going to accommodate that. And it's just because again, I'm making the schedule and that's what I want for my, my noon time. And so it works pretty well. I absolutely love that. Now, you mentioned in the beginning that you were doing several other things to keep some income coming in as your fledgling business was growing. Now you're 14 years in and your business is up and running and you know very successful. Are you doing those other things or have those things dropped off a bit? Yeah, I've jettisoned all of the moonlighting gigs except for one. I still uh, moonlight at a, a local wound clinic, which is wonderfully enjoyable and the complete opposite of family medicine. It's just lots of throughput, lots of procedures. And so it's just different. It's just using a little bit different part of my my training. And, and so I keep doing that because it's very enjoyable. The rest of the moonlighting gigs have, have fallen by the wayside. That's fantastic. I love for people to know that that happens. And I seem to recall like that was pretty early on. Yeah. Yeah. It took me, I mean, it really took about close to three years to be generating enough income from my practice that I was able to to give up um, the last of those those moonlighting gigs. Gotcha. So you just, so I think people that have their idea, like, okay, it's going to be this bit of time. But did you feel like it was like hustle and crazy for those three years, like it was when you were in general practice? Yeah. Or I mean, different? the first year was, yeah, there's no, there's no getting around it. I mean, it was busy. I mean, I was, you know, I'd get up at, Five, I, you know, round at the hospital, I'd go to my office, see patients for three hours or, or do my, you know, whatever, whether it was seeing patients or, or, you know, 
filing claims and that sort of thing. And then I drive for an hour to a mental health hospital, see some people there, drive back to my office, see some patients. So it was a lot of, it was just very disjointed. And yeah, I mean, those were long, long times. I mean, getting my practice up and running. And I think a lot of it was because I just was figuring it out and it just took time. And I'm just, I have to learn by by doing it. I'm not necessarily the best at just kind of, you know, reading about it. So it took me some, you know, trial and error. So the first year was, was, was quite busy, but you know, it slowed down after that. Yeah. Well, I suppose, again, I like to think of new businesses as babies. Like they take a lot of energy and work and yet eventually Uh they grow up and hopefully they won't be feral and all will be well. Right. (laughs) So I just like to give people that hope that like it is possible. And here's what I'll tell you, Chris, I'm not sure. I'm sure in your circles, you're hearing about it too, but there's this been a big push for direct primary care, which is different than what you're doing. And maybe you can speak to that a little bit, but it's also just, there is a big desire for physicians to gain back control because people are not having fun in the standard hamster wheel, run faster, do more. I'm exhausted. Right. And so people are finding that joy in being more in charge. So can you speak a little bit to how your system is similar, but different to the DPC and, and why you think there's this big boom in physicians Mm -hmm. saying, Hey, maybe I can do this too. So uh, direct primary care typically is associated with a, you know, a retainer fee. Somebody's going to pay a physician X amount per month to have access to the fee. And then there's, there's different iterations of that. When I started my practice, because I'm in a, a rural area, largely, you know, Medicare beneficiaries, I didn't want to exclude any of those folks. And so that's why I didn't do that. And again, having a very low overhead, you know, has allowed me to provide essentially the same services that a concierge practice would without having to charge those fees. And, you know, Jen, my wife, you know, feels as though I'm giving away my services and I just feel like it's, it's good care and and I'm happy to do it, but there is no, you know, I don't have any retainer fees or anything like that. To your point about, you know, the swell of why are people gravitating back into this? You're exactly right. And as I see it, you know, we were trained to be decision makers. That's what, you know, all of our training was, was learning how to make decisions and how many decisions do we make on a daily basis in our practices? I mean, that would be a fascinating study, but I mean, hundreds and hundreds of decisions are we making on a daily basis. And when we, when we delegate that, or when we have somebody else make decisions about running our practice, that really goes against our, you know, our wiring as, as physicians. And I think that that certainly is certainly a big driver of of burnout. So taking charge of that and being able to make those decisions and not necessarily have to be, you know, getting into the weeds and and making, you know, micromanaging everything, but being able to really drive the ship, so to speak, I think is, is very fulfilling for most physicians. And again, it's, it's kind of similar to that patient interaction is really what keeps us going through, you know, challenging, you know, the the challenges of medicine. It brings you back to why we went into medicine, I think, because talking to patients and listening to their problems and figuring out what's wrong and offering them a solution. I don't know if there's anything like more honoring that I can do in my life. Like, it's just, it's like a, it's a brain thrill and it's just nice to be able to help other people. That's why a lot of us go into medicine, particularly primary care. I mean, let's be honest. (laughs) We didn't go into primary care for the Mm -hmm. big bucks. And yet 
you don't, I think people keep thinking, you know, if they want to change their income level or if they want to have a more reasonable life, they either need to work way faster and see way more patients and, or they need to walk away. And what I'm hearing you say is mm-hmm. there's a whole nother option that is available to them if they're brave enough to go down that path. Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, I think certainly, you know, from an income standpoint, I've surpassed where I was at in the past. And, and I think, you know, working with an IPA and working with payers and, and getting out of all the, the fee-for-service, you know, rat race and, you know, having some contracts that have some quality initiatives and some other things that aren't, you know, pure fee-for-service are, you know, really helpful. And I think payers are, you know, finally recognizing the importance of that. And, and I think the trend is certainly moving in that direction. That's awesome. And I imagine they're seeing like improved quality, right? When a physician is well and happy and enjoying their work, like it's easier to do a good job, right? This is where I'm like, wait a minute, no wonder we're having problems in the whole medical system is because people are burnt out and not feeling good. So what advice do you have for somebody who's sitting here listening, thinking, wow, if only I could do that? You can. That that is my advice, pure and simple. Again, if if I can do this, anybody can do it. Surround yourself, you know, find somebody in your neck of the woods who is an independent physician and pick their brain. I'm guessing that they would be delighted to share that information with you and help you hang your shingle. It's really, um, it's not that hard. And again, just kind of having a well or a plan to knowing that it's going to take some time to get it up and running, but um, it certainly is, it's well worth the, uh, the investment. I think that's so awesome. And in fact, I see like this might be the new trend because again, it's easy to like blame the the villain right there, the administration, the organization. I don't really like to do that. And yet it does take a lot of like the agency away from physicians. And so I love that there is this groundswell happening that physicians are saying, you know what? I'm fed up. I'm going out on my own. I'm going to do it. And I think that again, not that we can go back in the good old days of medicine, whatever the good old days were when they didn't have all the amazing things that we have now to help our patients, but it was simpler, right? Taking care of patients. And I'm not saying that you have like a simple practice or that you provide simple medicine. That's not what I'm trying to say, but it doesn't need to be so complex. We don't need to be doing all of the things, squeezing in all of the people. You can go back to the basics, having time, listening to the patient, providing excellent quality care. So I love that you're such a beautiful example of that. And I want people to listen and go forth and do it. I'm going to put your cell phone number in. No, I'm just joking. I'm going to share your cell phone number with the whole world so they can all contact you. I would be happy, Michelle, for people, for you to, you know, put in the the show notes, my email address. Um, I'd be delighted to talk with anybody, any of your listeners um, about this, because again, I really think it is a good model. And I think that people are afraid to do it. And if they see that, hey, you know, a schmuck like Chris Wenner can can do this, um, I can probably do it too and, and, and be successful at it. Hey, now you got to give yourself more credit. You're a pretty brilliant guy. But but the point is like a lot of people say like, I didn't get this training in medical school. We didn't learn how to be business people. Yeah, you're right. And you have a really smart brain that can figure out complex things. And with some guidance is what I'm hearing and a bit of a plan in place to have some revenue coming in, you know, those first few years, like it's totally doable and sounds like sustainable. So here's the big question. You're a family physician. How would you state, how would you like grade 
your practice at this point? Like your fulfillment in medicine, joy in medicine, that sort of thing. It's a solid A minus. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, again, I I feel very fortunate doing what I'm doing. You know, I, I think that powers that are beyond any of our control are some of the things that are, you know, challenging. But by and large, I'm, I feel very, very blessed to be doing what I'm doing. And do you feel like you can do it for another three to five to 10 years, however long you want to practice? Well, I'm only 29 years old, so um, <laughs> I hope to practice until yeah. I'm at least 50. So <laughs> Perfect. Chris, you're um, right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean, yeah, I, this is this is the practice that I will retire in. And, and I think that when you want, right, what I I'm hearing no you say intention. is, it, it, yeah, you're not being forced out because it's too much. It's sustainable. Absolutely. The model is sustainable. So awesome. Chris, what haven't I asked you about that you think a listener might want to know? Did I miss anything? You know, I think people, you know, often ask, well, you know, do you work with Medicare? Do you work with insurances and things like that? And yeah, I'm just like any other, you know, clinic. It's just that it's it's smaller and it's myself and a few staff members who are doing it. So there's nothing otherwise unusual about my practice. It's a normal practice, but just a little bit smaller. I think it's so awesome. It's so awesome. And I'm so proud of you being on the front lines of going out and doing this. Because again, I remember having this conversation with you on the phone. You're like, wait a minute. So for my listeners, we live about an hour and a half apart, right? We see each other not too infrequently, but at any rate, my brother calls like, I'm thinking about this. What do you think? You want to come on up and join me? And like, I I thought about it for a moment, (laughs) but I was pregnant out to like, you know, like eight months pregnant with my fourth child. And I thought, wow. That sounds amazing. And I know it will be successful with you, but I'm a little scared to do that right now. I think I'm going to just stay the course. Like, yes, I was feeling overwhelmed and burnt out, certainly, right? That was probably one of my Mm. waves of burnout, but I knew a little break was coming with my maternity leave, right? I always thought those as like little mini sabbaticals, nothing like being home with four Mm. kids under six to take a break, but that's (laughs) that just shows you how crazy medicine is. I digress. Mm. But Mm -hmm. I love that you just like went forward. Like, I'm just so proud of your success and being such an example of what is possible for other physicians. So thank you. Thank you. I'm trying to think what else we can talk about. I mean, we could talk about all of the things, but the main thing I wanted was for you to lend your expertise to say like, yes, of course there were concerns that you had. Yes, it wasn't easy. This is not like a Pollyanna. Oh, it's easy. Just hang a shingle. But realistically, it you can do it. That's what I want my listeners to hear is you can do it. So if life is feeling overwhelming to you, if you're feeling like I just can't keep doing this, it's not sustainable. But when you are one-on-one with a patient and you enjoy that, maybe there's another way. And Chris is an example of, yeah, there's another way. He's seeing 12 patients a day. Uh, and again, that's that's a lot. He takes excellent care of them, spends a lot of time with them. But how does that compare to you know seeing your 26 to 30 patients, whatever it is on, on your schedule? So. I want my listeners to know that there are always options and that my big brother, Chris, said that if you're wanting to find out more information, he'd be happy to respond to your email. So I will put his email in the show notes because he said that I could. I will also have my email if you have questions for me. Chris, thank you so much for taking time today and sharing your knowledge. 
Thanks for having me on, Michelle. I love you. I love you too. Bye. Are you ready to take control of your life and put these tools into action? I'm here to help. I offer free consultations for physician moms to see if my one-on-one coaching package is right for you. You can sign up for a free consult at www.mamadoclifecoach.com.